Merry Christmas! Happy Holidays! This is the Chief Zone Podcast. My name is Farzine Vesugian, here with an early preview edition of the Chief Zone Podcast. I'll be previewing the game between the Chiefs and the Raiders. A lot to talk about there. Michael Gelkin will join us shortly. He is the Raiders beat writer for the Las Vegas Review Journal. He will join us shortly to discuss Raiders relocation, where they could be playing next year. Rumors are out there about London. And uh, what's going on with the um, with the storyline heading into Monday Night Football? As it is expected to be the final Raiders game in Oakland. And a whole lot more. Obviously, we'll touch on the Chiefs and Raiders game this Sunday. And also, uh, an organization that Gelkin is in charge of. Want to talk about that as well with him. Of course, we will preview the Chiefs and Raiders for you on this episode. uh, Giving you guys a full-blown breakdown. And I'll give you guys my prediction for this game. Also going to talk a little bit about Bob Sutton. And really just the case that's continuing to build more and more. But there's... A lot of concern that none of it will matter and Andy Reid will still retain Bob Sutton. Plus, in our closing segments, a lot of the topics I want to get into. There are three teams that don't hold a playoff spot right now. Three teams in the hunt. And I think one of them will emerge as a playoff team. I'll tell you who that is later on. Larry Fitzgerald did something really cool for an AP writer uh, for the media. I'll tell you what he did. Also... The UFC dropped the ball on this one. They decided to relocate their event that is taking place this Saturday on six days notice. They announced that they are moving from Las Vegas to Los Angeles, and I almost got a ticket for that event. Uh, I'll talk about that later on as well. That is a complete mess and a lot we can get into with that. Uh, We'll explain why that happened. And much more on this episode of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. If you guys want to interact with me, facebook.com slash Vesugian. That is the Facebook page. Give it a like. Follow me on Facebook. We will not do a Facebook Live at halftime, at least not with a commentary. I won't give you guys any of my thoughts or any of that at halftime. Instead, I'll do a tour of the uh, sports bar that, that I'm going to be at. You guys are going to, I think you guys will like this. Uh, if you guys have never been to Vegas or if you have before, uh, the next time you do go to Vegas, Check out Lagasse Stadium. That is the sports bar that I'll be at this Sunday for the game. And I'll give you guys kind of like a a tour. I'll do a Facebook Live. I've done it before, so I don't think it should be a problem. Uh, But it is one of the best sports bars uh, you'll you'll go to. And I'll give you guys kind of like a tour about that at halftime. So be on the lookout for that. And then after the game, not immediately, but at some point, I may do a Facebook Live video. No promises there, but there will for sure be a podcast out On Monday, that is New Year's Eve, so a podcast will be out on Monday, the day after the Chiefs and Raiders play. We will know a lot. We'll know about Kansas City's placement in the playoffs. Are they a one seed, a two seed, a three seed, or a five seed? Those are the four possible options for the Chiefs. And we will know everything by the time the Chiefs game is over with. Sunday Night Football is going to be between the Colts and the Titans. And that game has absolutely no impact on uh, Kansas City's seeding situation. So we can go ahead. I mean, that's going to be for the number six wildcard spot. So we know for sure that the Chiefs, before Sunday Night Football, will know what's going to happen and who they could potentially play uh, if they uh, have the number one seed. If they have a... Five seed will know who they'll play already uh, before Sunday Night Football. 
We just won't know when exactly until halftime of Sunday night. So that is uh, what's coming towards you guys. Uh, obviously, we're at this podcast. You guys have plenty of time to check this out. Not going to be a very long podcast podcast either, excuse me. Uh, and then, of course, Monday we will return and recap the game between the Chiefs and the Raiders. Again, that'll be on New Year's Eve. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot to get into. Uh, we'll obviously know a lot. By then, let me just start here before we bring Michael Gelkin on the podcast. And, and real quickly, and I'll mention this during the inter- interview, but the uh, interview with Gelkin was recorded uh, a few hours before the uh, game between the Raiders and the Broncos on Monday Night Football. So do keep that in mind uh, as you listen to the interview. But as far as things go with Bob Sutton, the case just continues to build. Here's my biggest issue with Bob Sutton. I don't think I mentioned this last podcast, but I did say this on the Facebook Live video. It's one thing to see this team struggle, but I think the biggest reason why you cannot afford to retain Bob Sutton, there have been zero adjustments made. Andy Reid has focused in on wanting to change personnel. So you go from Orlando Skandrick and Steven Nelson with Kendall Fuller not available. Instead, your starters are two rookies who have a combined 26 snaps, one a sixth-round pick and one an undrafted free agent in Traverius Ward and Tremont Smith. Now listen, if a player in his first game has, if he puts up big numbers, we go crazy about it and we want to see him again. If players like Tremont Smith and Shavarius Ward don't do so well, we don't want to see them again. I mean, that's I think it's unfair to judge them like that. But at the same time, look, you're putting Ward and Smith, two players, two rookies, one who almost went undrafted, and was probably drafted more for his abilities as a special teams player rather than a cornerback. One guy who almost went undrafted and another guy who did go undrafted. You're putting him up against Tyler Lockett and Doug Baldwin. What are you honestly expecting from this defense at this point? It's not going to look any different than when David Amerson was on the team during the preseason or Orlando Skandrick. Kendall Fuller has been okay. Uh, I would say he's average. He's had some really good games, and he's had some really bad games for the Chiefs this year. So, I mean, honestly, it doesn't matter. The Chiefs are trying to do something different, and I can appreciate that. But at the end of the day, it doesn't take a football expert to know that no matter who you're putting out there, it's just not working. It's not a personnel issue. This is a scheme issue with Bob Sutton. And there have been zero improvements as the season's gone along. The Chiefs have been terrible at tackling, I, although I don't think all of that is to be blamed on Bob Sutton. I think a lot of that's on the players. Look, if you're closing in on a ball carrier, you got to wrap up and take him to the ground, and the Chiefs have not been able to do that. Uh, but you have not been able to tackle. You've not been able to stop the run. You're allowing receivers and tight ends to get wide open downfield. Uh, why are they open so much? I, I don't know. And it looks like, considering how Russell Wilson did running the football, the way he scrambled against the Chiefs, it's like Bob Sutton had zero knowledge that Russell Wilson was a scrambling quarterback. And listen, I don't think Russell Wilson's going to say, listen, a lot of times these players are going to say, man, uh, that defense is so good. doesn't matter who they are. It's the NFL. You never underestimate anyone. He's right. But at the same time, doesn't Russell Wilson, and, and I, I'm sure Pete Carroll and, and Brian Schottenheimer, the uh, son of Marty Schottenheimer and the offensive coordinator for the for the Seahawks, are those guys thinking in the back of their heads, how the hell did Russell Wilson have all of that room to run with? 
I mean, surely they have to have been shocked because they all know that their quarterback, which is the most important position in the sport, they know he's a running quarterback. They want to use that uh, with him as much as possible, and surely they all have to be shocked with how much room Russell Wilson had to work with. He ran for 57 yards. That's the third most in a game for Russell Wilson this year. And for him to be able to do that against a Chiefs team that has a good front seven, although their inside linebackers haven't been very good, that's problematic. And listen, I do want to say this, and I've had some debates with fans on Twitter about this uh, on Monday. David Amerson, here's what I said in the preseason. I said, look, he's having a bad preseason, but he is going to make the team. That was my prediction because who else are the Chiefs going to put? And a lot of people are still telling me, uh, it was the right move because at least with young players, you can develop them. Okay, you're putting young players out there. They're not developing. So it doesn't matter if you have a young player or a veteran. If you suck, you suck. There's no development being made with the Chiefs defense. And here's my point, again, going back to David Amerson. He's had some flashes in the past. He had a couple of good moments with the Raiders, a couple of good seasons, actually, with the Raiders, and one really good season with the Washington Redskins. So he's had a good pass, and I think coming to Kansas City uh, was a bad thing for him because Bob Sutton didn't do him any favors and put him in position to fail, and that led to his exit with Kansas City. And again, I'm not saying Amerson was this great quarterback and the perfect replacement for, for Marcus Peters, although at the time... The Chiefs did have Peters, they signed Amerson, he was available before free agency, and Kendall Fuller was on his way to Kansas City, and I was pretty excited for that trio, but obviously it did not pan out that way. Uh, Regardless though, I still thought that Amerson and Fuller could have been a good cornerback duo, uh, and that just hasn't been the case. Kendall Fuller, again, he's been average, not terrible, but he has not lived up to the hype. Uh, When the Chiefs got him from the Alex Smith trade, there was a lot of hype. As, and pretty much a lot of people around the NFL saying that the Redskins got ripped off in this trade when giving uh, giving up Kendall Fuller for Alex Smith, as well as a third-round draft pick. We haven't seen that yet. Reggie Ragland, he actually had a very good 2017 campaign for the Chiefs, joined the team late during training camp, and eventually started to get playing time. Did very well against the run. Re- uh, Anthony Hitchens did very well in Dallas. Uh, missed the first four games, in fact, last year with the Cowboys, still finished second on the team in tackles, almost led the team in tackles, and he was one of the best run-stopping inside linebackers in the NFL, as was Ragland. And the fact that these two guys are on the same team and not being able to put their abilities from 2017 against the run in 2018, I mean, I'm flabbergasted by that. I still think players hold some responsibility for that, but a big part of that is Bob Sutton's fault. It really is. Uh, I mean, gosh, who else uh, have the Chiefs brought in this year? Uh, they brought back Ron Parker. Uh, essentially, the way I look at the Ron Parker edition is it, you basically restructured, restructured his contract. You let him go because he was being overpaid at his position. Uh, did some good things as a safety, but was overpaid for it. Now that he's underpaid, or maybe in his mind he feels underpaid. Uh, you don't just see him performing at that level anymore. Daniel Sorensen, a lot of Chiefs fans were excited to see him back, but he has not done much at all for the Chiefs since coming back from his injury. Uh, gosh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think right now. Uh, listen, a lot of people are blaming Brett Veach for the defense's performance. I can't agree with that. Brett Veach has brought in guys like Reggie Ragland last year, Anthony Hitchens, Kendall Fuller, David Amerson, I mean, he's tried to do as much as he can, and I don't think anyone, including Veach, 
expected Eric Berry to miss a majority of the season. He, and I know this doesn't count, but he came close to acquiring Earl Thomas, so it's not like there has not been any attempt to try to fix this defense. But listen, even with the personnel that you have on your team, if you don't go out there and acquire anyone in a trade or free agency during the season, you you have to come up with some sort of adjustment and make some improvements on as the season goes along and the Chiefs have just gotten worse in those areas uh it's just frustrating to watch that part of of the Chiefs defense seeing that there there haven't been any adjustments no improvements made whatsoever now a lot of people have been asking me about DJ Swearinger who was let go by the team because he was Critical of the coaching staff. I mean, gosh, if you need someone to be critical of your of Bob Sutton from the from the players, bring in DJ Swearinger, man, because I think someone within the organization needs to speak up and talk about Bob Sutton. Because and listen, I get it. Andy Reid has never been the guy to throw his own players under the bus. Even when Travis Kelsey was committing some of his immature acts, Andy Reid was very tight lipped about how the Chiefs are handling Travis Kelsey. Andy Reid was very quiet about how the Chiefs were handling Marcus Peters at the time when he was becoming a bit of a distraction. The incident with Kareem Hunt, I mean, at least we knew about two of them. At the time when he was on the team, the Chiefs were still very quiet. They they kept their business behind closed doors. So I get it. Andy Reid is never going to throw anyone under the bus publicly. He's not going to do that. that that's not his style and he knows that can cause a divide in the locker room and in the in coaches' offices and coaches' meetings. He doesn't want to do that. I get that. But at some point, it does beg the question of what, what does Bob Sutton need to do at this point to lose his job? Does TMZ need to publish surveillance video of him sneaking into Andy Reid's locker room and, and stealing or Andy Reid's office, excuse me, and stealing something at this point? Because that to me seems like the only viable reason as to what would lead to Bob Sutton's exit with Kansas City. It's just frustrating that you haven't seen any of those improvements yet. Last thing on this, uh, I'm just going to read you a few numbers. Uh, If you look at some of the stats in the six seasons that we've had in Kansas City since Andy Reid's been here, which Bob Sutton's been the defensive coordinator the entire time. 2013, Chiefs allowed 305 points. 2014, 281 points. 2015, 287 points, and in 2016, uh, 311 points. So the Chiefs were really good at uh, not allowing a lot of a lot of points, but then it got worse. 2017, 339 points. 2018, they've already allowed 418 points with one game left, and that's by far, by more than almost a hundred. That is the most points that they've allowed. Uh, now the Chiefs do have 49 sacks. That is the most under Bob Sutton, so you've that's an area where you've excelled in the most. Interceptions, the Chiefs have 13. That could end up being the second fewest under Sutton. You had 21 in uh, 2013. You had 22 in 2015. Uh, and by the way, those were two years, 2013 and 2015, where the Chiefs were one of the best in takeaways, and we haven't seen that dominant takeaway machine from the Chiefs since then. 2014, you had six interceptions, kind of a fluke, but the Chiefs have been able to be in at least double digits the rest of the way, or at least come close to the 20s. Force fumbles, no different than most years. 10 force fumbles this year, 10 last year, 15 the year before, uh, 7 in 2015 and 2014, and then you had 15 in uh, 2013. Uh, This is where things matter the most. 
uh, against the pass, Chiefs are 31st. That is the worst. Last year was the second worst, 29th. Against the run, the Chiefs are 28th this year, tying 2014, being 28th in that category. Uh, First downs allowed the Chiefs already allowing the most first downs they've allowed. In fact, the number of first downs they have allowed has gone up gradually each year. It started off at 303, 310, 313, 342. Last year was 352. This year was a big jump from that, from 352 to 399. One first down away from giving up 400 first downs on the season. As far as third down uh, conversions allowed, 41.5%. The Chiefs have uh, allowed on third down conversions. That is the second worst behind 2016, just over 43% that year. The first three years, the Chiefs have allowed 34%, 37%, and 33% uh, in the first three years. And after that, it was in the 40s, more than 40%. Uh, look, it, the numbers are just right there. Uh, they're proof. Yes, the sack numbers are great this year. Chiefs are second in the NFL in sacks with 49. But man, it is just not, you're just not getting it done overall. And if it's not for your front seven with D Ford, Chris Jones, Allen Bailey, not a Pro Bowl type season, but he's doing pretty well. Justin Houston, same thing could be said about him. Uh, without those four guys, I think you are last place in every single defensive category in the NFL. If it's not for those four guys right there, I don't know what you have to live on with this defense. Probably nothing. Maybe Kendall Fuller would be your best player. I don't know. But to say Kendall Fuller would be your best defensive player is a pretty scary thing to say. And that's what this Chiefs defense has come down to. I think all the proof is on the table as to why Bob Sutton has to be let go. Uh, Obviously, they didn't do it on Monday. So he's probably going to finish off the year with the Chiefs. But this offseason, you've got to put down the axe. It's got to happen this offseason. Joining us on the Chiefs Zone podcast right now, we've got Michael Gelkin, the Raiders beat writer for the Las Vegas Review Journal, uh, also part of Champion Causes. We'll talk to him about that. A lot, a lot of things to get into, of course, with the Raiders and Chiefs last game of the regular season for the two teams. It has now been flexed to a 325 kickoff game, Central Standard Time. And uh, Michael's gracious to give us a few minutes of his time during Christmas week. Uh, crazy time, of course. And again, with the Raiders getting ready to play a game. And keep in mind, we are recording this before the Raiders and Broncos do play on Monday Night Football. But uh, there's still a lot to cover as we get ready. But Michael Gelkin joined us on the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Michael, Merry Christmas to you. How are you? Merry Christmas. I'm doing well. How you doing? Good, man. Good. Uh, I, I, there are a lot of things I really want to get into with you. Uh, but real quickly, I just want to talk about kind of your positioning with the job. And I don't know how much you can really get in uh, with this. I know we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. But you, of course, are covering the Raiders for the Las Vegas Review Journal. Uh, how long have you been uh, covering the Raiders? And given the fact that you're with the Vegas Review Journal, how does this impact your uh, situation covering the team? And I'm sure personally this will make an impact as well when you move uh, from the Oakland area to the Vegas area. Uh, what is that journey kind of like for you right now, covering the team and with that uncertainty of where they're going to play uh, in the, the following season and maybe even uh, two years from now? Right. So initially I covered the Chargers for seven years in San Diego. And then the franchise, of course, relocated in January of 2017 to Los Angeles. And so when the 
team relocated from San Diego, there was little sense for a San Diego newspaper to cover a Los Angeles team. So I had to figure out what the next opportunity was. A couple months later, the Raiders were approved to relocate from Oakland to Las Vegas in 2020 upon the completion of the stadium's construction. And so the Las Vegas newspaper uh, hired me to move from San Diego to Oakland, cover the Raiders, and then when the team moves, the rhythm of the position is to move as well. And so that's that's my plan. Uh, I'm excited to kind of have a running start in terms of covering the Raiders. You know, it's not like when the team moves, it'll be my first year covering the team. So in terms of relationships within the organization, within the locker room in particular, those things will have a few years of a head start. And so that's the plan. I'm swimming with the tide of relocation as opposed to against it. Uh, but I, the respect and sensitivity I have uh, for a home market that is losing its team it is just the same. I live in Oakland. I've seen Raiders fans and how passionate they are home and away. And uh, you're right. You know, we're, we're talking before Monday night's game at home against the Broncos. And it's set to be potentially the final game in Oakland in Raiders history, potentially because theoretically the team could extend its lease here another year. But right now, People are preparing for this to be it. And so there's a lot of emotion happening currently in Oakland. Look, I know Chase fans, Raiders fans, they hate each other. I get that. But I've said this many times. uh, Those fan bases are very similar. They both love and support their team uh, in similar ways. Uh, And I've got to say, man, uh, it just would feel weird in Kansas City, which is known to be Arrowhead, of course, the loudest stadium in the NFL. And Oakland's always been known as the black hole there. Uh, what is the perception from Raiders fans? Is there a lot of sadness? Are people saying, hey, if you don't want to be here, get out? Or is it kind of a mix of the two? I think it is a mix of the two. It's a very personal situation in terms of how you respond to losing your team. You don't really know how you're going to react until your team is gone and you're watching them play in a different market in front of a different city. It's just a odd deal because so many people in Kansas City, I'm sure, can relate to this feeling that many in Oakland have, many in St. Louis and San Diego had, which is you just you feel like the team is almost part of your family. At least it's so interwoven with all of your family relationships, your friends. I mean, you refer to the team in terms of how it did on a Sunday as we did this or we did that. Uh, there's just identity. Uh, that's special. It can be special between uh, a city and its team, a team and its fan base. And so uh, here in Oakland, it's been that very, 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 uh, very reaction among people. Uh, but a number of fans here are committed to following the Raiders even after they vacate the Oakland market. This is a, fr- a fan base that is somewhat familiar with the concept of lo- losing its team to a geographical region. Uh, given that Oakland has moved back and forth, uh, Oakland and Los Angeles, the Raiders have, I mean. And so here, here they are now, and they're preparing to move uh, to Las Vegas in a couple of years, and we don't know exactly where they're going to be calling home uh, next year. It's a, it's a very odd and uh, emotional time to be an Oakland Raiders fan. You mentioned next year, Jay Glazer reported Sunday morning that there's a possibility the Raiders could actually play in London, uh, rather than playing at UNLV or maybe finding a, a college stadium to share with, 
I mean, the, the Saints did play in uh, San Antonio when their stadium was unavailable the year when Hurricane Katrina went down. Uh, look, I, I remember when the international series got underway, a lot of people talked about how uh, maybe a, t- a home team, we, we could have an NFL team in London, but logistically, common sense would, would say it, it, that would not work out, especially with the road teams. You have to provide all these buys at certain times, and then on top of that, uh, whoever the London home team is, in this case, possibly the Raiders, I mean, that's going to be very daunting physically uh, for those 10 road games if you include the preseason games. And that's also going to make an impact uh, from a competitive standpoint. Uh, what's the latest you're hearing on the London rumor? Well, like you, I can rattle off a number of reasons why it wouldn't work or it might not be the best option. I do think the Raiders are considering all options before finalizing where they're going to be. They want to have this decision finalized sometime within the next five or so weeks. And so we're going to have an answer soon enough. The Raiders don't themselves have an answer. And so it's a bit of an experience that we're all going through in terms of asking the question of where the Raiders are going to be next year. I have heard, this is from team president Mark Bedane. He made comments last week at the Las Vegas stadium construction site. I saw a video of it when he was asked about, where the Raiders could be next season in terms of calling a stadium home. And he said that they're looking for something ideally that won't disrupt operations uh, for the team as much as possible. You know, they, you know, they, they call their headquarters home in Alameda, California, which is just a few minutes away from the current stadium that they're using Oakland, Alameda County Coliseum. And so to move your home games from, you know, from, from to, to play your home games from Alameda, go from Alameda all the way to London, and you have to really just shift your entire operations. You know, the people who are working in in, in, in that building, uh, a lot of them are going to have to be in London. Uh, you probably need your own marketing team in London. I mean, there's just a lot to do for one year. I could see why people in the league might be flirting with that option as reported, but to think it is a serious option ahead of some more local contingency plans, I wouldn't go that far. That would really surprise me. I think it's more likely we see the Raiders playing, say, in San Francisco at AT AT&T Park or to continue to look at whatever options may exist in the Bay Area uh, so that fans who are local, maybe they have to cross a bridge to get there and pay a $6 toll, but they still will be able to watch their Raiders without hopping and on a 14 or whatever hour flight. And obviously this doesn't pick Kansas City because one of their road games could be in London. You make a good point. I never thought of it this way. You know, all the marketing and business aspect of football, all that work you're going to be putting in for possibly just one year. Yeah, that would be way too much. But uh, hopefully we can learn about that uh, as soon as possible because obviously the Raiders wanting to know what's going on. I'm sure the players and a lot of the Raiders employees definitely want to know. And guys like you, of course, Michael, you want to know where you're going to be living and covering the team for 2019. But for right now, Obviously, the Raiders, uh, as we are speaking right now and recording this, getting ready to play the Broncos, but they want to end the season on a good note, uh, getting ready to play Kansas City. Uh, obviously, a big rival of theirs. That would definitely put a good taste in their mouths, and Raiders fans would have something uh, to feel good about going into the offseason. What's been your takeaway with this season, with the job that John Gruden has done? You, you, you lose uh, Amari Cooper and Khalil Mack. Reggie McKenzie has let go. I, I know Gruden's already made a move letting go of the strength and conditioning coach. What's been your? What are your thoughts with the job that John Gruden has done in year one uh, returning to Oakland? 
Well, I think we have to divide John Gruden's, um, you know, work performance evaluation in terms of John Gruden, the head coach, and John Gruden, John Gruden, the man who heavily influences roster decisions. And so we can talk about John Gruden, the coach. You look at schematically what the Raiders are doing on offense. It's incredibly advanced, incredibly modern, sometimes uh, too modern for their own good. They're implementing current concepts without really executing them. Uh, you know, in, in games, almost as if they just threw it together and, and, and during practice a few days before. Um, but they are, you know, you look at Derek Carr's production, uh, despite lacking, um, I'd go down the list and talk 10 minutes about what his offensive line and, and wide receiver core and the changes that he's had to deal with. Uh, you know, Carr, who hasn't thrown going into Monday night's game anyway, nine, uh, an interception and a franchise record nine straight games, I guess the Denver Broncos wouldn't be surprised if that streak comes to an end, uh, but he has really turned a corner. Um, and so I, I think Rudin deserves credit for Derek Carr's performance, for the, what his offense has done overall, given his personnel shortcomings. And the way that the players have continued to fight, you couldn't tell really at all these past few games that it was a 3-10 and locker room or a 3-11 locker room, you know, whatever the record may be in terms of the energy that you see during the week or you know, the way guys are working and practicing onto the film that is visible on game days. Uh, you know, guys are playing for John Gruden. So I think uh, Gruden deserves a lot of credit for that. Uh, that being said, uh, you look at September 1st trade of Khalil Mack, you look at the October deal of Mari Cooper, and we don't know what exactly those deals look like in terms of how the two first-round draft picks next season uh, you know, will they be players? You know, will, will they be developed? Will they, will, will they, you know, will the Raiders be able to develop them? And and and, and where we can look down at that tr- those two trades years from now and say, oh yeah, that was um, those are fair deals or you know whatever it may be. Or we, we you know we don't know what the cap space all that the Raiders have next March when free agency begins on March 13th. You know, we don't know what they're going to do with that cap space that they might not otherwise have had. Should you know. They, the team had restructured uh, Amari, or extended rather Amari Cooper's contract and, and Khalil Max, and so um, that's kind of a, a messy type of a situation in terms of assessing John Gruden today. But as a as a coach and what he's done, uh, despite the team's record, I think he's he's performed pretty well, especially given how uh, John Gruden, the personnel man, hasn't helped uh, from a talent standpoint what this roster is today in 2018. The Raiders did play the Chiefs very closely uh, the first time these two teams played, and, and that was right after that crazy aftermath the Chiefs dealt with with Kareem Hunt. And, you know, in Kansas City, we're still kind of learning the machinations of this Chiefs offense. How are they trying to fill in that void without Kareem Hunt? Uh, are they able to still use that running back? Because a lot of running backs have thrived under Andy Reid, but uh, maybe not to the extent of Kareem Hunt, who hardly ever fumbled the football, only on his first ever snap. I mean, I'm curious, uh, given what we've seen in Kansas City and, you know, the Raiders, they obviously want to end the season on a good note. How do you see this matchup between the Chiefs and Raiders compared to what we've seen in the first meeting earlier this month and everything else that's happened up to this point? Uh, how do you see this uh, panning out uh, in Week 17? The Chiefs are so talented offensively. Um, first of all, uh, special teams-wise, they always are dangerous. Uh, defensively, they can get after the quarterback, um, although inconsistent on that side of the ball. 
I look at where the Raiders are today from a town standpoint, and the two just don't even match. It's not close. I mean, we all, we all know who, which team is, is more talented, uh, you know, which team should win on Sunday with the game having been pushed uh, in terms of start time from noon to 325, I believe, yeah. uh, locally. Uh, the, you know, the game now is at the same time as the Chargers versus Broncos game. And so you have uh, the Chargers and Chiefs both with something to play at the same time. And I think that is going to amount to the Raiders getting the Chiefs' best shot, and they can throw a punch. And so I, I think this game, um, although the Raiders will be looking to continue to do, to do what they've done all season, which is to fight, uh, despite the record, I think what the Chiefs present just from a talent and, and challenge it is the talent standpoint uh, will ultimately amount to a Chiefs a Chiefs win. I mean, it's very difficult to predict anything but a, a Chiefs home win given the circumstances. Last thing I want to talk to you about, uh, you uh, help uh, run a, uh, uh, a Twitter account uh, called Champion Causes. And again, uh, the account on that, you can follow simply Champion Causes. And I saw Adam Schefter of ESPN. He retweeted something. And I think uh, you wrote a tweet saying, hey, look, if a player helps win your fantasy football league, consider donating a portion of the winnings to a cause that uh, the quarterback supports uh, or any uh, player. And you had a big list of these players. And I saw the Twitter bio. Uh, it says connecting fans, athletes, and communities that they share. Uh, talk to me a little bit, the motivation behind uh, creating champion causes. And w- what do you want fans to know about that? Yeah, so this is the third year that I've done it. It's the first time that I've created a separate Twitter account for it. I felt like it needed that after the success of the 2017 campaign. Uh, last year, Todd Gurley's cause was Shriners Hospitals for Children, and people donated more than $50,000 of their fantasy football winnings to Shriners in Gurley's name. And so um, that, along with the momentum of what followed, you, know, you had fans that were donating to players as causes due to something that was happening on the field. Uh, we saw when Andy Dalton threw a game-winning touchdown pass in Week 17 against the Baltimore Ravens, Bills fans, because that pass effectively got the Bills into the postseason for the first time in nearly two decades, they donated money to Dalton's foundation as a thank you, and that those donations amounted to more than $400,000 to Dalton's foundation. And, so, uh, and there were other causes that we saw that from, such as Chiefs fans donating uh tens of thousands of dollars to Alex Smith's foundation after the Chiefs, you know, bid farewell with him and you know, he joined the Redskins. And so um, we just seen that, uh, the fans' generosity, and I wanted just to give it home. And so that's that's where it exists. Um, like I said, I've been doing it for three years. I uh, started it after a, a good friend of mine from high school was diagnosed with stage four brain cancer. And I, he used to, you know, was you know, the best person I know, just one of the best humans. And after he was diagnosed, it just seemed so unfair. I just was looking for something positive to do. And so I can't tell you how many times I've set my lineup in week 16, uh, you know, going into a, a fantasy championship week. But in that time, I, I, I just, my, where my mind was, I, I just, I kind of realized, you know, uh, you know, it's the holidays, you know, 13 of the 16 games, I, I believe were on Christmas Eve that year. And, you know, what if we can just combine the holiday spirit with fantasy football and, and see if we can raise some money for causes across the country and, and NFL players' names? 
Hey, very cool stuff. You know, in a world where we just see a lot of negativity in the media, on social media, uh, I'll definitely take things like this. And again, if you want to follow Champion Causes on Twitter, again, simply Champion Causes. If you want to follow Michael Gelkin on Twitter, Gelkin is spelled G-E-H-L-K-E-N, at Gelkin NFL. Michael Gelkin covers the Raiders for the Las Vegas Review Journal. Michael, appreciate you taking some time to be with us. I know you've got a Monday Night Football game to cover, and of course it's Christmas week, so I appreciate you taking some time to be with us, and hopefully we can talk to you again down the road. My pleasure. Sorry, yeah, I was a little scatterbrained earlier. Oh, this whole champion cause is mean I can't tell you how many hours I'm logging. It's, <laughs> it's uh, the overlap between that and football is, has been prohibitive. But I appreciate you, you having me and your patience with me. Absolutely, man. Hey, take care. We will talk to you again. All right, take care. Bye. Big thanks to Michael Gelkin from the Las Vegas Review Journal. Uh, and man, uh, what a journey for him. Uh, you know, I was not aware, uh, that he was covering the Chargers at first. Hey, he's got familiarity with the AFC West, which is great. So he's more than qualified to be covering this Raiders team. But to go from Oakland to who the hell knows where next year and to Vegas, uh, that is, uh, that's definitely a concern. And it's not just him. This is something the players have got to worry about. I mean, you're going to be moving your families, what, three times in as many years, uh, assuming you stay with the team. A lot of employees for the Raiders, you know, people who work in marketing, PR, ticket offices, uh, so many areas. And are they going to follow this Raiders team wherever they go? Some might. Some might say it's not worth it, and they'll try to apply for uh, other sporting teams, whether it's a team like the 49ers, the Giants, uh, the Athletics, the Golden State Warriors, or maybe some of those smaller minor league teams in the areas, which there are a lot a lot of those nowadays. Even if you live in Kansas City, there might be one of those teams that you just don't know about that they have out there. Maybe they'll apply for those kind of jobs and maybe work another part-time job if it doesn't pay enough. Uh, it, it, it comes to the point now, is it worth it to even follow this team where it goes? Uh, that's, the, uh, that's a concern. And kind of frustrating that you would think a, an NFL team would know in advance where they're going uh, I mean, look, the Chargers, they went from San Diego to L.A., not a terrible, not terribly far, uh, but with the Raiders, uh, the destination is a complete question mark. You just don't know where they are going. But for right now, they are the Oakland Raiders, and the Oakland Raiders will be visiting the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday afternoon. Again, a reminder, 325 kickoff. This game has been flexed to make sure it is played at the same time as the Chargers and Broncos game since the Chiefs and Chargers. That way, no one will have any significant advantage, nor no one's chances at winning a title will be over by then. So if the Chiefs did have a noon game and if they won, well, the Chargers would essentially be playing for nothing at that point. So that is why they are flexing this game. And this forces both teams to use their starters and not create any advantage nor disadvantage. For either team. Also, regardless what happens with the Patriots and the Texans, the Patriots will play host to the New York Jets and the Texans do the same for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, regardless what happens in those two games, yeah, sure, maybe you'll you'll see a change in seedings there. But for the most part, uh, regardless, and again, this is according to ESPN's playoff machine, which hasn't been the most accurate to me, but take it for what it's worth to you. Uh, whoever wins the AFC West will get the number one seed unless both the Chargers and Chiefs lose. Um, If both teams lose, New England becomes the number one seed and the Chiefs become a two seed. 
if the Texans win and if the Chiefs and uh, Patriots win, then the Chiefs drop to a three seed. So, again, this is all according to ESPN's playoff machine. I know uh, they have not been the most reliable when I have been trying to use it, but that is uh, the uh, narrative right now. So, basically, whoever if the Chiefs win, they're they're number one in, in the AFC. That that's the that's a simple uh, scenario right there. Uh, what ha- whatever happens with the Patriots and Texans, you probably don't care too much about that. So I'll I'll, I'll avoid that subject. But as far as everyone else, uh, if you lose and if the Chargers lose, you you win the AFC West. So you would need a little bit of help from the Broncos in that area. But look, uh, the Chiefs have no one to blame but themselves. Being in this position. You probably should have wrapped up the AFC West uh, a long time ago. You had two chances to do it, and you didn't. So now you gotta. Thankfully, you still have control of your own destiny. Very rare that a team has that 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 capability for three straight weeks, despite losing back-to-back games this late in the season. Gotta thank the football gods for that. The Raiders, though. They're led by John Gruden, offensive coordinator Greg Olson, not the tight end, obviously. Uh, defensive coordinator Paul Gunther and special teams coordinator Rich Bisacha. I may be mispronouncing that, but he is the special teams coordinator. You look at the offense for the Raiders, not very good. 29th in points per game, allowing 18.5 points per game. 22nd in total offense, 14th in passing, 26th running the football, just about 99 yards per game. However, you can throw all those stats out the windows because, because even when we see a team not do so well offensively, they end up doing pretty well against the Chiefs. So that 26th ranked rushing offense for the Raiders doesn't mean anything to me because Doug Martin, he's been the featured back filling in for Marshawn Lynch with 516 yards and three touchdowns this year. He's running four yards per carry. Jalen Richard. He's ran 48 times for 247 yards. He's done pretty well on the ground for the Raiders. Uh, Chiefs, they're 28th against the run. Derek Carr, I know he had four touchdowns against the Raiders, or excuse me, against the Chiefs, the first time these two teams played earlier this month. And again, Russell Wilson had a field day with Tyler Lockett and Doug Baldwin against the two rookie cornerbacks. But look, if you're the Raiders, run the damn ball. Martin, he's ran, he ran for 51 yards off 11 carries and also got three passes for 21 yards when the Chiefs and Raiders met earlier this month. Richard ran six times for 95 yards and caught three passes also for 31 yards. Uh, Martin is the only one who had a rushing touchdown. However, both running backs did lose a fumble against the Chiefs, but still Raiders did hang on in that football game. As the Chiefs won that one, 42-33, a game that was too close for comfort for Kansas City, but still pulled away with a win. Derek Carr on the other side uh, in the passing game, 19 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. Uh, he's 20th in uh, passing touchdowns. By the way, the 8 interceptions, and as we just heard from Gelkin, 9 straight games without an interception. Now, he has lost 6 fumbles in those 9 games, but still... To not throw an interception, that's a pretty big deal. And listen, you can't blame him for the six fumbles, and I'll get to why in a moment. But he's thrown for almost 3,700 yards just outside of the top 10 in that area. By the way, the 19 touchdowns, I take them back. He's in just barely inside the top 20, not outside the top 20. As far as sacks go, 
Again, going back to his six fumbles, he has been sacked 47 times. That is the fourth most in the NFL. The Chiefs have 49 sacks. That is the second most in the NFL. The Raiders, by the way, they have just 12 sacks on the season. That is prior to the Monday Night Football game uh, because this is being recorded before then. Uh, or actually during, I should say. Uh, I will just say this. Uh, the numbers I read as to what the teams are ranked, keep in mind that may change uh, after Monday Night Football. So do be aware there could be a slight shift in that, but not a major difference uh, in any of those areas. Uh, but again, the biggest concern for the Raiders would be those rookie offensive tackles. Brandon Parker, who was drafted in the, in the third round, uh, and uh, Colton Miller. Colton Miller, the left tackle, uh, going up against Justin Houston and Brandon Parker, the right tackle going up against D Ford. Those guys have struggled immensely, as have the entire Raiders offensive line, except for the center Rodney Hudson, drafted by Scott Pioli and the Chiefs in 2011. But uh, this Raiders offensive line, not very good and does not bode well against this Chiefs front seven. And listen, with the Arrowhead crowd behind you, you've got a good chance to not do what you did last time, which was allow 33 points to this Raiders team that puts up 18 and a half points per game. So hopefully the Chiefs can have a different narrative defensively as far as yards and points allowed uh, being at home this time against the Raiders. So we'll see if that makes a big difference for the Chiefs in this football game. Uh, as far as their pass catchers, tight end Jared Cook leads, leads the team with 63 get, grabs. Rashard, the backup running back, has 62 catches. Cook does lead the team in all receiving areas, though, uh, with yards, 848 yards, and touchdowns with six in the end zone. Jordy Nelson, a wide receiver for the Raiders, played his entire career with the Packers prior to this year. 47 catches, eight, uh, 586 yards, and three touchdowns. Second week in a row, the Chiefs are going to be going up against a former K-State receiver. So last week it was Tyler Lockett. This week going to be Jordy Nelson. Look, I, this Raiders offense, nothing the Chiefs front seven can't handle, especially at home. Maybe the secondary does a little bit better. Maybe Eric Berry starting to get acclimated, starting to get used to things. I know he didn't play very well last time. Played a lot more this time around. I had 30 snaps the first game, 69 this past week against the Seahawks, although we didn't see him much on that final drive. But nonetheless, uh, maybe Eric Berry, this is the game where he kind of gets back into the rhythm of things and becomes the Eric Berry he once was. We'll see. This would be a good time to do it right before the playoffs. The defense for the Raiders, dead last in points allowed with nearly 30 points per game, 28th in total yards, 15th against the pass, 31st against the run. And listen, I know you're without Kareem Hunt, but still, I think this rushing attack can still do some damage. We'll see if Spencer Will will be available. Obviously, he was inactive this past week. Uh, but still, you can do some damage with Damian Williams. He was able to provide some flashes for the Chiefs in the ground game last week. But the Chiefs hardly were ahead in that football game. So the Chiefs uh, didn't run the football as much in the second half. In fact, they never had the lead in the second half. Only in the first half when it was 10-7. Uh, to 7, Or 14-10, to 10, excuse me. Uh, so hopefully the Chiefs... No, no, excuse me. It was 10-7 uh, when the Chiefs did have the lead. That's the only time. So hopefully the Chiefs can prevent that and have their offense do well, especially against the run, 31st uh, against the run for the Raiders. That is something the Chiefs can take advantage of. Didn't do that great in the passing game. Travis Kelsey, yeah, of course, phenomenal game. 12 catches, 168 yards, and two touchdowns. Almost had three touchdowns 
uh, could have been almost 200 yards, but was called down on uh, one of the plays. Demetrius Harris, he had he was the second best pass catcher in this game. Three catches for 39 yards and a touchdown. That was the second highest on the team behind Travis Kelsey. Chris Conley, the best wide receiver with three catches and 25 yards on the team in that game against the Raiders. And by the way, that was the first game Kansas City had without Kareem Hunt. And in that game, on the ground, Mahomes ran nine times for 52 yards, leading the team in rushing. Spencer Ware had 14 carries for 47 yards. Not great. Did get into the end zone on a fourth down call, if I remember correctly. He also had one catch for five yards. Damian Williams, uh, he ran ran the ball five times for 38 yards. And Tyreek Hill, a little bit active on the ground, running twice for 37 yards. By the way, since the Kareem Hunt release, Tyreek Hill has ran the ball at least once in each of the last four games. Uh, Before the Kareem Hunt release, Hill ran the ball eight different times, eight different games, I should say, never ran more than twice in any of those eight games since the release of, of Hunt. Hill has had eight carries, He ran a lot more his rookie season, and I'm not sure why Kansas City doesn't use him more on the ground, especially since you're looking for some help on the ground. You look at how he did in 2016, his rookie year, 24 rushes for 267 yards, three touchdowns, very hard to stop him. Last year, only 17 touches on the ground for 59 yards. This year, a little bit better, 21 runs for 136 yards, averaging 6.5 yards per carry this year compared to his rookie year where he had just a little over 11 yards per carry. And I think that's due to the way how they hand the football off to them. Uh, The way he runs around uh, from his receiver position, coming around with the trickery there. Also on the sweep tosses, although I should note, uh, because it's a forward toss, that counts as a pass, not a run. And the Chiefs ran that twice against the Chargers and got touchdowns out of that. And that gave Mahomes the cheap touchdowns uh, in those two games. And I'm not taking credit away from him, but... uh, Hey, look, I mean, it still works for him, and obviously a big reason why he is the league leader, or one of the big reasons why he's the league leader in touchdown passes this season in the NFL. Uh, looking at the Raiders' defense, not a lot of bright spots. Defensive tackle Maurice Hurst leads the team with just four sacks. Again, I mentioned earlier, 12 total sacks for the Raiders. He has a third of the total. Quarterbacks Garyon Conley and Daryl Worley the starters on the team, safe, uh, strong safety, Carl Joseph, maybe the biggest bright spot on that Raiders defense. You got free safety, Marcus Gilchrist, who is the other safety for the team, opposite of Carl Joseph. Uh, Conley, Gilchrist, and Reggie Nelson, who has not played since the last meeting between these two teams, each have two interceptions to lead the team. Tahir Whitehead, the uh, outside linebacker in their 4-3 system, he leads the team with 108 tackles. Second in tackles is Markel Lee, with 64, he's the inside linebacker for the Raiders, but 44 tackles separating the leader in tackles and the uh, the second most uh, tackler on the team in uh, Markel Lee. 44 tackles separating those two players. Very hard to believe. Listen, this Chiefs offense, you put up 40 on the road, and this was coming off a game uh, where it was a dramatic weekend with Kareem Hunt's release. Uh, I'm sure that was something that those players... Uh, it was occupying their minds. That was on the road coming off that weekend. You are now at home at Arrowhead, week 17. You've got to get that number one seed. So you know these players, they're pissed off. They're motivated uh, coming off two straight losses. So you've got to be able to to have a similar offensive performance, putting up 40 points on the scoreboard 
against this Raiders team, and that should be enough to win, but you never know with this defense sometimes, but I, I expect, you know, pretty similar performance from this Chiefs offense, similar to what we've seen all year long, 26 points, the fewest the Chiefs have put up on the scoreboard in a game this year. Number one in the NFL in points score too. Special teams, real quickly looking at that, uh, a lot of rookies involved in their uh, special teams duties. Uh, you've got Johnny Townsend, the rookie punter. Second week in a row, the Chiefs are facing a rookie punter. Townsend was taken in the fifth round. He is 32nd in average yards punt and 33rd in net average yards. So obviously not very good. You're 33rd when there are 32 teams in the NFL. So obviously not very good. Townsend has given up the 10th most punt return yards with 238. Also one of five punters to allow a punt return touchdown. We have not seen Tyreek Hill uh, make a big play as a punt returner. Uh, really not since uh, the, his first punt return of the season, which went back 91 yards for a touchdown. So maybe this is the game where he snaps that drought and makes a big play and takes one back to the house. Rookie kicker Daniel Carlson, he was let go after the two games with Minnesota. If you remember, this was that crazy start to the season where a lot of kickers got in trouble because they were not doing well and teams quickly got on the move for a different kicker. So we saw that trend for a little bit. Carlson was part of that. He was 1-4 of with the Vikings, went 0-3 in Week 2 against the Packers in a game that ended in a tie. Uh, but since then, he's actually done really well. He was 1-2 of two in his first game with the Raiders. Since then, he has made 12 straight field goals. Again, that's uh, Daniel Carlson, the undrafted rookie for the Raiders. Kick returner Dwayne Harris, 50th in kick return average yards. He has the 10th most kick return yards with 526, but 24 returns. That's the 5th most in the NFL, so a big reason why he has a lot of kick return yards. Tremont Smith also has a lot of kick returns. Because the Chiefs give up a lot of points. Uh, 32 kick returns. That's the third most. However, he's proven that's not a fluke nor anything misleading. Because uh, he, he he does average almost 27 yards per return. That's tying Tyler Lockett for 11th most. Longest return of the season for Smith is 97 yards against the Patriots. And then he also had the 61-yard return against the Seahawks to keep the Chiefs in the game uh, this past week on Sunday Night Football. So there's that. Dwayne Harris also uh, handling punt return duties. Averaging 9.5 yards per return uh, off 18 returns. Longest went for 49 yards. However, uh, as we're recording this, he did have a 99-yard punt return touchdown on Monday Night Football. Fielding it at the 1-yard line and taking it back to the house. Tyreek Hill had uh, a similar one against the Chargers in 2016. Calendar calendar year technically 2017 where he fielded a punt at the 5-yard line and went back 95 yards. He stiff-armed, I think, Steven Nelson to avoid going out of bounds and eventually made it to the end zone. And that is the game where the Chiefs beat the Chargers, the Raiders lost to the Broncos, and that allowed the Chiefs to win the AFC West. Uh, So, uh, bold move by Dwayne Harris, but able to do so, running it back 99 yards. All right, look, I know in a game like this we expect a blowout, but we haven't seen the Chiefs. Blow out a lot of teams. Only team they blew out was the Cincinnati Bengals. That was a game that was flexed to Sunday Night Football. And that was, at the time, a Bengals team that was the second best in the AFC right behind Kansas City. And now, uh, they're a non-playoff team, obviously. Uh, but that was the only time the Chiefs have blown out a team. 
I'm not expecting a blowout. I expect the Chiefs to put up a lot of points. I think the Raiders are going to put up some points as well. I do think it'll be a one-sided game. Not a blowout necessarily, but I think the Chiefs will do enough. Maybe they'll get a score near the end of the game to put the game on ice and capture the division and the number one seed in the AFC. My score for this one, I've got Kansas City winning at 38-21. to I think they'll do enough to win. Just got to hope for some consistency on the offensive side of the ball. Defense maybe can come away with a few plays. Didn't really do a lot of that last week. Yeah, I got a couple of sacks, but no three sacks to be exact, but no uh, takeaways. And that is an area where you really need to make some plays, uh, getting interceptions, forced fumbles, and again, the Raiders, uh, not the best in taking care of the football. Uh, again, no interceptions for Derek Carr in nine straight games, but uh, the six fumbles... Uh, he's had in those nine games. That's because of the poor blocking with the offensive line. So take advantage of that. Don't let receivers get too wide open. Hopefully the front seven can get there quickly, get some hands on on the football and force some fumbles there. And hopefully the Chiefs can march their way to a division win and a conference win. You get home field advantage. And again, I'll just say this. If you have home field advantage, I'll feel optimistic about Kansas City's chances of making it to the Super Bowl. But if you get a five seed... I'm not too I'm not too optimistic. I'm just not. I don't know how, how I'll feel about it, but I don't anticipate a lot of big things from the Chiefs in the playoffs. Get your games at Arrowhead. Get your playoff games at Arrowhead because to me I think that's the best way to punch your ticket to Atlanta for the Super Bowl. Let me know your thoughts. Facebook.com slash farzine Vesugian, Twitter.com slash farzine 21 and my email farzine at farzinevesugian. Com. Let's wrap up the show. Let's go around the NFL. Look, uh, you guys know me. I've never been the blame the officials guy. However, I will note it is getting worse and worse for NFL officiating. It's been a bad week for, for NFL officials. It really has. And again, like I said, it's gotten worse over the past few weeks. Players and coaches starting to be very vocal about it. Andy Reid has calmly explained uh, some of his frustrations. He disagreed with some of the calls in that Rams game. If you remember that in that Rams game, Havensworth, uh, he committed a false start and he held D Ford and never got penalized for it. In this uh, last uh, Sunday game between the Chiefs and Seahawks, Mitchell Schwartz, he committed two false starts and never got penalized for it. So listen, I've said this many times. It does go both ways and I'm not a fan of it. But I'm never going to blame officials for the result of a game because, look, bad calls happen to all 32 teams and big breaks happen to all 32 teams also. It happens a lot. Eric Fisher, by the way, got away with a couple of holds in this game too, uh, which didn't matter because he gave up sacks, but it happens. I'm just letting you guys know that it happens like that. Steelers cornerback Joe Hayden said he was, quote, pissed about some of the calls uh, in the game against the New Orleans Saints. Listen, I don't know what the solution is to this. Add another referee or two. uh, Because sometimes the referees that have to keep an eye on the offensive line, there are too many offensive and defensive linemen. Maybe having additional referees there would help nullify some of those issues. Maybe each referee has their own zone where they look at one or two uh, head-to-head blocks at the line of scrimmage. Maybe that's a, a, an area where you can improve, and maybe you have one more referee in the backfield, the defensive backfield, to help nullify maybe some missed calls. I don't know. Maybe even allow certain plays to be challenged. I think maybe 
what you should do is add two referees and allow another a third challenge in which an NFL team can challenge certain penalties. I think that needs to be allowed, honestly, at this point. It's kind of disappointing that the Chiefs or excuse me, the NFL hasn't allowed that at this point, but it certainly needs to be considered for sure. By the way, Titans, Steelers, and Eagles, they're the only three teams that don't hold a playoff spot right now and are still in the hunt and can still make it to the playoffs. My pick, I think only one of these teams will survive and make it into the playoffs. That is the Eagles. I think they're going to take a spot away from the Vikings. The Vikings, I think, will lose to the Bears, who are trying to fight for a two seed. The Bears, that is. So, you know the Vikings might have a hard time against the Bears. The Eagles play a Redskins team that's been up and down since Alex Smith's injury. And listen, I can't pick against Nick Foles right now. For whatever reason, Nick Foles just seems to turn it up this late in the year. He's done it right now, and he did it last year when he filled in for Carson Wentz. Uh, It's just hard to pick against Nick Foles. And if the Eagles are in, be careful because they were underdogs in all three of their playoff games last year, including the Super Bowl. So, I don't know if I would want to play against this Eagles team with Nick Foles under center. Last thing I want to touch on, something very cool Larry Fitzgerald did. He honored Robert Baum. Uh, If you live in the Arizona area, you probably have heard of him. He is a writer for the Associated Press in the Phoenix area. He's been covering Phoenix sports for 43 years for the AP. Uh, I don't know if all of them have been with the AP, but 43 years covering Phoenix sports. And Larry Fitzgerald started his press conference by uh, giving Robert Baum a Cardinals jersey with his last name and the number 43 on there. Very cool way to honor a reporter who's been around the sport for a very long time, been been in the same city for a very long time. Uh, A lot of times in this area, and I I touched on this last week when I opened up about my decision to stay in media or to leave it, Uh, and uh, it's very hard to stay in an area for 43 years, so very deserving for Robert Baum, and very cool for Larry Fitzgerald to acknowledge that. Uh, of a reporter being around for so many years. And, uh, of course, this is his final year in uh, in covering sports. He's going to be retiring after this season. So very cool for Larry Fitzgerald to honor him in that manner. Let's go out of bounds. The Kansas Jayhawks dropped four spots in the AP poll after losing to Arizona State on the road. ASU rallied in that second half to come back and win. Look, not the end of the world, and it's not like you lost to a terrible team. Arizona State was ranked, what, 18th when these two teams played? I'm sure they went up a little bit, and obviously beating the number one seed, they were a little bit motivated too, and they had the ability to beat a team like KU. Look, you're always going to lose. I think Kansas fans, they're so used to being ranked number one so many times that they expect perfection sometimes. I know Kentucky had high hopes of that in, what, 2012 or 2013? I can't remember what year that was when they had Anthony Davis and the following year with a lot of their freshman recruits. But at the end of the day, you look, you're not going to go perfect. I think Kansas fans get upset about that. And again, keep in mind, it's not like you, you played a terrible team and lost. And even if you did... For a team like Kansas that plays so many times, uh, you're going to lose a game you probably shouldn't lose occasionally. That will happen. It's going to happen in Big 12 play too. It just does. And here's the other thing about Kansas. Because they are that top-notch basketball program, and I said this recently when Bill Self was upset with the way the team played against what I think it was New Mexico or New Mexico State at the Sprint Center. Look, when you're Kansas, or if you're the Patriots, if you're the New York Yankees, or, you know, whatever top-tier historic team you are, 
uh, Alabama in college football, you just have a big target on your back. Whenever you have a team that's going up against you, they're just going to be motivated to want to play a little bit harder against you because you are the top team. They want to have this glorified moment where they beat the best team in possibly the history of the sport. They want that moment. So, listen, as Kansas fans, you just have to accept that role that you are the Yankees of college basketball. I know people hate the Yankees. Fine, I get that, but you that's, that's how it is for Kansas. You are the Patriots of college basketball. That's how it is. It's not a bad thing, obviously. Uh, I mean, look, pro sports in Kansas City, they don't do too well, unfortunately, historically. So at least you have this to hang your hat on. So for Kansas fans, understand that it's not a bad thing if if people uh, if, if fans rush the court. Take that as a compliment. Look at the two times the Chiefs blew out the Patriots in 2014 and last year. I, I mean, if the, if this was a college basket or a college football game, and the and the Chiefs did that, I mean, fans would be rushing the field for this because that is such a historic moment, uh, and it's not something you see often. So again. Just accept that role as Kansas fans. Again, not the end of the world. Everyone's going to lose a game. It's hard to go undefeated from the beginning of the season all the way to the final four. It's just not a realistic expectation. It's just not. LeBron James, by the way, he apologized for an Instagram post uh, on a uh, comment he had saying, quote, we've been getting that Jewish money. Everything is kosher. ESPN's Max Kellerman, he said he is Jewish and he took zero offense to what LeBron James said. He also brought up the sensitivity in our society today, whether it's in sports and politics uh, and comedy, whatever it is. Uh, and he said that some things are taken way out of context. Let me just say this. I do agree. Some things are worth getting upset about and people have a reason to feel offended. But there are some some incidents out there that there's just fake frustration from people like like NFL players kneeling for the anthem and, and the Nike in uh, their partnership with Kaepernick and all the people who threatened to boycott Nike's sales have gone way up and the NFL ratings are up this year you want to talk to me about fake uh, outrage that's fake outrage right there but there are certain subjects where look uh, it does surprise you that people are blowing things out of proportion now should LeBron James have said that look I'll continue to say this. We are almost in 2019. There are a lot of small things that can be said that get taken out of context. Now, I will also say this. We are all different human beings. I am different than you. All of you guys listening, you guys are all different people. You guys are not the same. Well, my point here is, if I hear a joke about... Everyone in the if someone just makes some racist or some joke about Christmas, I think that's a great example. Christmas and Hanukkah. If someone makes a holiday slash religious joke there, maybe maybe I find it hilarious. But maybe there's somebody out there that maybe is very religious, a very religious Christian, and has a close relationship with Christ, or maybe someone who's very religious as 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 a Jewish person, and they take complete offense to it. I think we've got to be considerate that people are very different in how they take things. We do not get to decide who can be offended over what. Everyone's different. People accept things differently. Listen, that's what makes us diverse in our in our world. Uh, not everyone's the same, and that's a great thing. 
But at the same time, everyone takes things differently. I, look, I know I, in my personal page, I make some I make some crazy jokes on there, some some sarcastic posts. But I do keep in mind, hey, is this something people will be offended by? That is something that you always have to be considerate of when you do your interviews. When you do look at the uh, uh, pageant uh, from the United States, I can't remember which country uh, of the of the of the pageant representative she was making fun of, but she talked about how she was pretending to speak English, and a lot of people were outraged by that comment alone. Uh, one simple comment like that uh, blows up and blows up in your face badly. So always got to be considerate with what you say and always think twice with with, with the things you say. Uh, <laughs> that's just the way things are uh, nowadays. Last thing I do want to say, I know the music's cut off, but Christmas shopping. Uh, I'm one of those guys that wraps up Christmas shopping at least a week before Christmas Eve. Uh, maybe there's something out there that you you come across and you think okay this would make for a great gift that's fine but i have never been anywhere uh any to any stores on christmas eve maybe the only place is a gas station and i've seen the gas station pretty busy on christmas eve and i'm sure that's the case on christmas day as well but man i kind of want to be a fly on the wall at places like oak park mall or uh the legends uh shopping outlets in Kansas City, Kansas, just to, I just want to know what those places are like on Christmas Eve. I've never wanted to set place in those areas, but one of these days, it's on my bucket list to, to just be there. Just just walk around. Don't even buy anything. Just walk around because uh, I'm always curious, like how crazy of a zoo are those places? Uh, I'd be curious if anyone does shoot video of those kinds of things on Christmas Eve. Uh, I know Black Friday is just insane. Uh, I did it once when I was a kid. I went with my mom. Uh, I mean, I, I was always curious, so she took me and showed me once, and I was like, man, I, I don't even want to be here. She didn't want anything. She just was willing to show me because I've been curious for years what that's like. But, uh, man, uh, this is a big reason why, and I get not everyone's able to do it early because of whatever reasons out there. You know, everyone has their own reasons as to why they have to wait late, whether it's financial reasons, personal reasons, whatever it is. Got to consider that as well, but... Uh, I just never want to set foot in a place, or at least not necessarily want to shop in uh, places like a mall uh, on Christmas Eve because that is an insane time. And God bless all the store clerks and cashiers, uh, retail people on those days because that is the most insane. People are in a hurry and they just want a quick answer if they have a question from you on something and you want to give an honest and truthful answer. But people are just wanting an answer out of you and it's just a crazy time of year for sure. Final segment of the show, let's throw some penalty flags. What a coincidence. Falcons punter Matt Bosher was drug tested after the vicious tackle he made this past Sunday uh, after punting the football away. Eric Reed, the safety, long time with the 49ers, now with the Panthers, he was upset because he's been drug tested seven times in the 11 weeks he has been on an NFL team. And at this point... Uh, and listen, you see this a lot with kickers and punters. When they make a big tackle like that, they get quote-unquote randomly drug-tested. Now, come on. Uh, the NFL really needs to find a better way about this. Uh, I don't understand why they don't just do something, whether it's once a month or every other week, where you you have a medical team. And look, the NFL can... They have the money for this. They can do this. You have a medical unit that goes out to all 32 facilities... On a uh, Monday or a Tuesday or Wednesday, whenever it would be, 
drug test all the players, and you, you just move on. Uh, and again, have a big medical team for it. That way they can get through all 53 players plus the 10 or so practice squad players as fast as possible. But uh, this is one of those things where the NFL needs to have some sort of an even surf- surface here. Because to do it only when a guy makes a big tackle like that, or Eric Reed, you know, I think he has his reasons as to why he's upset. Uh, I, I, I think there's a little bit of uh, suspicious activity there from the NFL's end. All right, there is an app for everything, literally everything. So I'm on my iPhone, and I, I know all the smartphones have this where you might be going through an app, or if you're on a website, uh, it, it, there's this required commercial on your on your mobile device that comes up, uh, and a lot of times they'll be promoting an app in the App Store. And something that I saw on the iPhone App Store, there is an app that you can get, and by paying $150 a month, which I don't know why anyone throws this kind of money for an app, but add in the fact... The point of this app is to get increased followers on Instagram and Twitter. Look, I don't know why so many people make a big deal out of social media followers. Listen, I think we just got to be honest. A lot of girls in high school and Instagram, they totally will use their looks to garner as many followers possible and... When they see some of those guys who are thirsty in the comments section, they love that because they're getting the attention and they get followers for that and guys are thinking they're going to get a date out of it when they don't. Uh, But then there are people who actually do pay for things like this and they have increased followers. Probably a scam, honestly, if we're being honest here, but who honestly is desperate to pay money for social media followers? And, and okay, let's say you have the followers. What are gonna What are you gonna do with them? Do you get extra money per follower? I mean, I, I don't know why people in our in this age now with with this social media era we are in are so obsessed with followers. I love social media. I think it's great. It's great to connect with people, and I think it's a great way to get your news and also inter- And I love interacting with you guys on social media. I think I think that's my purpose for using it. I don't care how many followers I have. Uh, I mean, sure. I think I you know I, I'd like to have a lot of followers and have a lot of people to interact with, but not not to the point where that is my primary focus or I'm paying money for this. I think it's ridiculous that people would do such thing. And if you do that, I hope your phone breaks and you can spend that $150 for your next month on something better for your life. Please do that. All right. I'm a big UFC fan. You guys know this. And I came damn close to buying a ticket to UFC 232, which was supposed to be in Las Vegas. But on Sunday, the UFC announced that they are moving their event from Las Vegas to Los Angeles because John Jones, who has failed a lot of drug tests and he's gotten in trouble a lot, several times outside of the cage. Uh, so I guess there is some sort of he did not fail a drug test this time. But something in his body is still, some sort of drug he took is still in his body from what he took almost a year and a half ago. And because Las Vegas is not happy about it, they're not willing to clear him for the fight. However, Los Angeles is. So the UFC is moving their entire fighting card, their entire event from Vegas to Los Angeles in six days. 
Keep in mind, the UFC doesn't cover their fighters the same way uh, the NFL covers a team uh, and whatnot. By the way, a lot of fighters, they don't make a lot of money, especially those undercard preliminary fighters. They get paid $20,000. Now, again, $20,000 sounds like a lot, but you got to pay half of that to your coaches, uh, travel expenses and whatnot. If you have family members who come along and you want to cover their costs for travel and hotel, you probably do that as well. You probably left with five to $10,000 after that. Uh, and it's just not fair to these fighters who, again, they maybe fight two or three times a year. So th- that $10,000 really is not a lot at the end of the day. So this is something where the UFC, I mean, they don't give a damn about their entire fight roster uh, and because of their training regiments and their preparation for the week, everyone's having to pack up immediately from Vegas to L.A. Uh, the UFC has canceled media day availability on Thursday, which, you know, is, is fair because the fighters need to focus on uh, shedding all that weight, focusing on the weight cut, which is a very difficult thing to do. And by the way, everybody has to get drug tested again in Los Angeles and Las Vegas they have two very different requirements when it comes to clearing fighters medically, and that could be a big issue for the, for the UFC. And again, uh, if something like this causes an issue, this could force fighters to maybe miss weight because they have to take all their uh, pack, all their stuff, all their belongings, pack up and move, get new hotels and whatnot. And again, the worst thing about it is. The UFC is such a they're such they are such a big attraction in Las Vegas that you you go to Vegas and a big reason why some people go to Vegas for a UFC event. Uh, the main one of the main eventers, his name is Alexander Gustafsson. He's he's fighting out of Sweden. There are two Brazilians, uh, female Brazilians champions, by the way, going head to head. There are probably some Brazilians who are traveling to Vegas for this event and. The UFC just acts that. So the UFC just gave a big F you and a big middle finger to all of their fans who paid for flights, expensive hotels in Vegas, and expensive tickets. I'll just say this. I went to a UFC event when they were in Kansas City uh, last year or a couple of years ago. The ticket prices for a UFC event in Vegas and ticket prices for UFC events outside of Vegas, very, very, very different prices. It's just completely expensive and unfair that the UFC is willing to bend their backs for John Jones all this much. Completely screwed up and shame on Dana White and the UFC uh, for bending this much for John Jones. Man, if I'm John Jones, uh, I'm thanking Dana White every single day because how many chances are you going to give this guy? You just refuse to put, put down the hammer on him. It's ridiculous, and I, it's terrible on the fans. The NFL did the did a very similar thing with the Mexico game. That's because of an extreme conditions with the Mexico field and uh, Azteca Stadium. It wasn't because one player was unavailable. It's because of, of stadium conditions, which was an understandable issue. Shame on the UFC for doing that, man. And look, I was actually really considering this uh, event because there was a fighter from Australia. She actually lives in Kansas City. Her name is Megan Anderson. She was going to make her uh, second UFC uh, appearance. First was against Holly Holm. Didn't look too good. She she has a chance to bounce back. And I was looking forward to seeing her. But, uh, man, I'm pretty glad I did not buy a ticket for this event because... That is uh, a very uh, frustrating thing to deal with. Now, look, I was already going to Vegas to begin with, but a lot of people 
are flying to Vegas just for the event, and that is extremely unfair for the UFC to go about uh, their solution the way they did that way. That'll do it for this episode of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. My name is Farzi Masuga, and thank you all for listening to this episode. Merry Christmas to all of you. Spend time with your family. If you got a break on, on Christmas Day, Christmas week, whatever it is, spend time with your family, see your friends, enjoy the holidays, relax, deserved time off to relax for a little bit, for a couple of days or a week, however long you are off for, enjoy that time off. We will be off until New Year's Eve so we will not have a podcast until then. We'll recap the game between the Chiefs and Raiders. Are the Chiefs a number one seed or not? We will talk about that and much more. Facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian. Twitter.com slash Farzine21. We will continue the discussions on social media as news will unfold during the week, of course. So we will continue the discussions on there. You guys can email me as well. Farzine at Farzine Subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. And please share the links as well. Uh, I'll say this again. Downloads and uh, the uh, the interaction on social media has been insane crazy. And I love the interaction. I appreciate all of you guys who have uh, been doing so on, on social media. Love it. Thank you guys so much. Merry Christmas to all of you. Happy New Year's. Stay safe. I will talk to you one more time before the end of 2018. Be safe. I'll talk to you guys while I'm in Vegas. <laughs>